This episode of the Sticks and Blades podcast is brought to you by Quite Trill Radio, the best hip-hop internet radio show on the planet. If you know me or you train with me in the past, you know that I hate to train in silence, and that's where Quite Trill comes in. Quite Trill is the soundtrack to all of my training sessions. Quite Trill Radio has over 50-plus episodes that are about two hours apiece that are going to bring you some of the best in hip-hop, soul, and R&B, as well as underground hip-hop music. To listen, follow them on Facebook or Instagram at Quite Trill Worldwide. That's Quite, Q-U-I-T-E, Trill, T-R-I-L-L, Worldwide. Quite Trill Radio. The Sticks and Blades podcast is also brought to you by Vulpus Training. Vulpus Training is the home of some of the best training blades on the market. All of their blades are handcrafted. This means no CNC machines, water jets, or laser cuttings are used to manufacture their blades. All of their blades are hand ground on a belt sander freehand like a real blade. They offer 41 different blade designs, everything from traditional Filipino long blades, tomahawks, short everyday carry blades. Vulpus Training has you covered for all your training blade needs. I recently received their Taliban with a handguard that I'm actually holding my hand right now as we speak. And the handguard is actually big enough to fit a hockey glove through, guys, which means it's ideal for sparring. And the weight and the balance of the blade is pretty amazing. So to order, check them out on Facebook or Instagram at Vulpus Training. That's Vulpus, V-U-L-P-E-S, Training. Vulpus training we're also brought to you by fresh fit focus athletic wear fresh fit focus is a veteran-owned company that provides stylish athletic wear for the man or woman on the go that wants to look their best if you're looking for something to wear to the gym or something comfortable to wear around town fresh fit focus has you covered they have hoodies sweatsuits t-shirts hats and beanies that will keep you looking good and cater to all your athletic wear needs to order your gear, follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Fresh Fit Focus to start looking your best today. Welcome to another episode of the Sticks and Blades podcast. I'm your host, Doug Marsh. And today's episode, this is a very special episode. We have a legend with us, folks. Uh, the first time I heard about this man was in a book called The Black Heroes of the Martial Arts. But this man, he's a member of multiple martial arts hall of fame. He's very highly respected within the Filipino martial arts. Some of y'all might know him from Modern Arnis. Some of you guys might know him from Attilo Balitnawak background. But uh, enough talking about him. Let's go ahead and get into it. Welcome to the show, Guru Doug Pierre. How you doing today, sir? I am fine. Thank you for having me on your on your podcast. Hey, I appreciate you coming on. And this is really special since this is coming out in February. This is the Black History, the first Black History Month edition of the Sticks and Blaze podcast. So it's real special. I, I'm glad that you're on here with me. So oh, I'm so happy to be here. 
Good, good, good. So what I'd like to ask everybody first is just about a status check. You know, with the way that 2020 has been, instead of 12 months, it feels like it's been five years in 2020. You know, so how's your health, man? How How's everything going up there? How are you handling this COVID nonsense? Well, I'm very healthy. Uh, I think the beginning of, of January, near the, near the middle of the middle of January, I got very, very sick. Sicker than I've ever been. And I don't get sick. I'm 73 years old. I'm still fighting in tournaments for contact. I don't get sick. And I got deathly sick for about two weeks. And I was like, wow. And that was before I even heard about COVID. Uh, but since we've been in this pandemic, uh, I've been healthy. I've maintained my health. I don't get sick. I've had... Uh, surgeries shoulder what is it i've had my knee surgery just now uh so i'm 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 still healthy i'm still you know getting ready to fight next year if there's another tournament in the philippines for 2021 i want to be the oldest full contact uh competitor you know uh still going strong at 74 uh that's the one thing that I enjoy about Filipino martial arts because I can stay vibrant and relevant well into my senior years. Well, I always say it like this, you know, martial arts, it definitely is the fountain of youth. You know, I, I've seen a lot of men like you. I mean, you, you don't even look 73. You look like you're 50. You know, you, you look like you're in very good shape. And, and I think that martial arts, you know, it keeps the mind active, you know, the body active, you know, so it's, it's real good to be involved. Yeah, I wish that everyone would study some form of martial arts, but I have to be honest. Stick fighting is the yang in my life. It's no nonsense. It's direct. It's violent. Designed to take you right off the planet. And Tai Chi is my yin. I learned to soften my body, soften my spirit, soften my mind, and... It's very important with doing that. So, you know, I'm armed with the yin and the yang in my martial arts uh, pursuits. That's awesome. So the first question, official question that I always ask everybody is a leadership question. And, and the question, it's how do you define leadership and when did you realize that you had the skills to lead? Well, um I found out, I'll, I'll answer your second one first. I found out that of, of being a leader was the first time I opened up a door to be a teacher. That's when I began to understand what it meant to be a leader. Not that I had the qualities yet. It was when I had to concentrate totally on my students that's when I began to realize what it what it meant to be a leader. Now, what is a leader? Some people are born leaders. And some people are thrust in the role of leadership. And they have to uh, do, do a quick study as to what that means. And then there are some people who are just born leaders. People just follow them, whatever they say. But for me, a good leader is someone 
who thinks about the people he's leading and where he's leading them. It's like a shepherd. Are you leading the sheep over a cliff or are you taking them to greener pastures? That's very and well. I and I really feel that a lot of people are not good leaders uh, because their emphasis is on themselves. To be a good leader, you can't think about you. You're always thinking about your students or others. And in that, you make the sacrifices to help them. Not them make the sacrifices. You make the sacrifices to help them. You deny yourself to help them. That's a good leader. And then where are you taking them? How do you want them to grow? How do you want them to progress? Do you want to keep them down so you could be the leader? Or do you want them to rise above you so that they can be leaders? And that's a question every leader should ask himself before he takes on that responsibility. It's something my teacher once said to me. He said, there's a special place in hell. And on the door are priests, rabbis, bishops, reverends, uh, martial arts instructors. Because if you take advantage of your flock, your students, the universe is going to make you pay for that. I've seen it over and over in the 55 years I've been studying martial arts. When you get arrogant and puffy and think you're so special because you have a lot of people following you, and you're taking advantage of them, screwing over your students, borrowing money that you never pay, pay back, you'd start doing that, the universe will come back and beat on you. I've seen it happen often. You are in a special place as a martial arts instructor. You're a leader. We are the only people on the planet that still gets respect from crooks, judges, police, you name it, military, kids that don't respect nobody, but they respect you, bow to you. You you are in their pocket. They pay you to teach them. They trust you with their hearts. They trust you with their minds. They trust you with their bodies. You cannot mis misuse that. The universe will make you pay for that. Man, that's deep. That's deep, Guru. That's, that's probably the best answer to that question that I've ever heard on this show. That's, that's excellent. So when you started martial arts, how'd you get your start? And what was one of the first arts that you turned to? Well, you know, I was a mischievous Catholic school kid. <laughs> 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 I say that because it's different than public schools. I got my hands whacked with rulers and stuff. Mean nuns, the mean old nuns. <laughs> <laughs> the nuns would be all up in your cranial. <laughs> but she and I was this mischievous, inquisitive kid. My mother was very um, afraid of, you know, how I would turn out growing up in Harlem. So I got into some trouble. And instead of them putting me in a boy's home, like Spotford or one of those other uh, uh, 
jails for kids. That's what I called them, jails for kids. She and I was in the Catholic school. She had me go to uh, all boys. Uh, how would you call it? A place to straighten you out. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and it was in upstate New York, Lincolndale, New York. And there, I had a, a great education. I was there for like two years. I had a great education. Being in the Catholic school, you know, education was premier. premier. I was studying to be an altar boy. You know, they got to religiousize you. Uh, <clears throat> but I, because it was a... Uh, uh, a place that only housed boys at all different ages, um, there was a lot of cottages, they called them, that housed like 30-something boys and different ages. And so we would all compete. How would, What else would you do with all this testosterone? Right. So we would compete in against other cottages on this big, expansive acreage that was a farm we had Anguses, we ate our own food, grew our own food. Um, so you had to keep these boys occupied. So I learned to play all organized sports, soccer, hockey, basketball, track and field, you name it. Um, I got a chance to play all of those things. And because I came from Harlem, you know, I had that attitude. You know, I wasn't taking no mats. So I would get into fights, and this Franciscan brother would pull me to the side one time and say, oh, you think you're that bad, huh? I said, yeah, I think I'm all right. And he would say, well, let's see. Put up your dukes. You know they didn't use dukes, that term, except back then. <laughs> so after he whipped my hiney a bunch of times, <laughs> he started to teach me the art of boxing. So when I left there, I was pretty proficient with my hands. And I went to the most dangerous, uh, highly volatile junior high schools in the South Bronx. Now I had moved to the South Bronx. And man, I would get into fights because, you know, I had that, 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 that Catholic boys, you know, do your homework, turn in the assignments, pay attention. Every time I would do that, I would get in trouble <laughs> with the classmates. Who you think you are? I'm going to see you at 3 o'clock. It's a good thing I never lost a fight. I knocked everybody out that challenged me. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was from being in that boy's home, learning how to, the art of boxing. So I used to fight in the street, and people used to bet on, the, on these fights. And I would get a cut. But I really, somebody asked me if I wanted to fight professionally. And I looked at his face. You know, his lip was all swollen. He had all these zipper, you know, stitches in his face. And I took one look at that and said, mm -mm, not me. <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> and then I seen this program on the History Channel. I seen these guys on the, the wall in China, working out in these short pants pajamas, breaking bricks and stones. I said, man, I really want to get into that. But I never got into the art 
until I went to college. I was around 19 years old, and uh, there was a, a judo guy teaching judo, and I went to study that. But it wasn't dynamic. It didn't remind me of what I seen on the History Channel. I said, man, I ain't doing this. Then I moved to the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and that's all they had was karate and kung fu. This was like the mecca. They had more, you know, dangerous guys in these karate schools. I mean, Peter Urban brought Goju Karate to America, and he opened up a Goju Karate school in the heart of Chinatown. Whoever did that? They had so many kung fu schools. They was on top of each other. All, every style of kung fu was was teaching out of either their apartment or some storefront, and here comes Peter Urban opening up a karate school in the middle of Chinatown. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and a lot of the guys that were in his school were rough and tumble street people. So if you want to, you know, make your, your your system strong, you want those guys representing. You don't want fluffs representing your art. You want those die, die in the wool, hard street thugs fighting gangsters. You, you want, and like I said, martial arts was the only art, or the teachers were the ones that were getting respect from everybody, even the thugs. So if I'm establishing my system, those are the guys I want to represent me, because if you challenge me, you got to go through them. And they're not afraid to fight. They grow up fighting. So that was the environment under which I started really getting into the martial arts. What year was this? This was around 73. Is when I went to my first karate school. And who was it that you and, started? Who, 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 I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but who, who was it that it, you started learning under? Uh, Chaka Zulu. Oh, okay. There it is. All, yeah, he, he was the first one. And back then, I was into this militant, you know, I thought we were going to have a, a race war in the country. I was all into all of that. Black Panthers, you know, the whole night. And then I seen this brother who still had that military military uh, vibe on him. He had a parachute hanging from the ceiling in his dojo on 2nd Avenue. I said, man, I want this brother to teach me. This is right up my alley. And I was coming to class every day in the afternoon. And he would be like, slow down, young brother, slow down. Because he thought I would burn out. You know, like somebody, they jump into a school and they want to come every day. And then all of a sudden it goes down to like three days a week, two days a week, one day a week. And then all of a sudden they drop off. That same enthusiasm, that same fire is still in me to this day. I'm still learning. I tell all my teachers, I want to be your best student. And I strive to be that. I just got that fire. That's why I still fight. At 73, the fire has not gone out in my spirit. So I left because he kept putting this doctor on me. 
And I was in, I, I didn't want to learn from a white instructor. I mean, I know he had a lot to teach me, but you know, I, at that time I was into my militant thing. <laughs> so I said, nah, I can't, I can't do this. You know, you want me to not come so often. Then you put this guy to teach me. I want you to teach me. I'm out. <laughs> so I found this guy. His name was uh, Tony Powell. I hope you're still alive, Sensei. Thank you very much for everything you've taught me. And he was very eclectic, meaning he came from Taekwondo and Goju Karate. So he combined that. But not only that, he was bringing in judo, jujitsu, um, and then he introduced me to sticks around 1977, 78. I went, what is this? I like this. He was teaching us in the Wallies, the 12 strikes. He said, oh, this is karate sticks. I said, karate sticks? I never heard of that. I went to all kinds of bookstores looking for this, this thing, uh, uh, Barnes and Nobles, you name it. They have underground bookstores like Wiser's where you could get books. You needed appointments to read some of the books they had in the basement. So I could not find it except one book that dealt with the Joe. And that was the only book that dealt with sticks. And then when the school closed, I found out about Martin Arnese was the first one that I seen in the magazines. So in 1984, I went to two of Professor Priestess's students that are in his Arnese book, Rapogo and Arnold. They had a two week seminar in the Allegheny Mountains. At the same time, Remy had one in the city. And I didn't want to go to the city. I wanted to be in the woods. I hate cities when I travel. I wanted to go in the woods. So I, I went to the one in the woods because it was two weeks. It was very intense. And all you did was stick fighting. So I went up there, flew up there, and this was in Virginia. I flew up there, and then I had a limousine drive me to this abandoned camp. You know, like when they have boys' camps with cottages and bunk bed living and all of that? Yeah, out in the middle and, of nowhere. I've been to a couple yeah. of those places, yeah. Yeah, and I drove in there, and when I got out of the camp, out of the car, everybody came on the porch of where they was. I was the only black guy there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> and they was like, you know where the register was? They said, who are you? <laughs> with, with astonishment. I said, I'm Doug Pierre. You're Doug Pierre? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> so for two weeks, I met Alan Lee for the first time there. We put on a skit to entertain some kids. Uh, Alan Wheeler, I met him for the first time. Man, I was on in that camp when other people would, at the end of the night when the camp was over, they would go into town, go to bars and restaurants. Alan Wheeler would say, uh, Doug, don't you want to go with the young people? I said, nah. I said, for all that money I spent to get here, 
I'm going to ring out every ounce of information. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. You know, partying can come later. I'm here to train. Exactly. Yeah, I'm here to learn and train, man. Even when people went to sleep, I was in the field learning. He said, man, I ain't never seen nobody practice like you. So he gave me his whole series of books on Ishinru. So um, after that, um, I just kept on practicing, practicing, practicing. And then I took on some students and started teaching them everything I learned uh, in modern Arnest because they covered every one of the things in Remy's book. The whole seminar was on that. <clears throat> so when I left, I understood the drills, all of that, the Sinawalis, <clears throat> and I started teaching it to some friends of mine who wound up being students. We all studied karate together, but the school wasn't there. So I was introducing them to something other than we all knew. And then after that, I went to a seminar with Remy. And that first seminar, he didn't want to come downstairs. I'm giving you all this history so you know what... I hope we have enough time. Man, I, there's a lot of stories. Listen, 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 Guru. When we when we first talked, I told you, you know, we just gonna let this thing breathe. You know, you got oh. stories to tell. Tell them. I don't care. Let's, you know, let's keep it going. Yeah, I got stories. <laughs> <laughs> so, at that time, Remy's student was David Hoffman, and this was in Massachusetts. So at, at, at the first one that was there was Wally J. And, you know, it had Wally J and Remy was doing the seminar. So when I went there, Wally J was doing the seminar, but I was watching his black, his black belts, Woods and Taking, Free Falls. And at this moment, I had studied, started studying jujitsu, a violent form of jujitsu, before I even went to Remy's seminar, I was studying jiu-jitsu from karate to jiu-jitsu because my, my teacher was very eclectic and we, he was teaching us all of these different arts. I wanted to get a black belt in each one of them when the school closed. So I went to this, this style of jiu-jitsu called Meyameru, which means three mountain uh, system. And there were other people doing jiu-jitsu that I knew, but their form of jujitsu for me wasn't realistic because I played football in, 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 in junior high school, football in high school. I went to D with Clinton. I was playing football there. Um, so I played football in that boy's home. So I was used to rough and tumble. I was used to contact. And a lot of the jujitsu that I was seeing, even the karate, didn't satisfy that need for contact in me. But when I seen Miami Rude Jiu-Jitsu, I said, whoa, they're very violent. They would snatch you, yell, ah, ah, boom, slam you into the walls. I said, wow, I like this. <laughs> it reminded <laughs> me of football. <laughs> So even with all of that, you know, I had my injuries with it because of those arts, Aikido, Judo, and Jiu-Jitsu, 
have the highest injury rate because of throws and falls. And the small joints also, you know, your fingers getting broke, wrists, yeah, like yeah, that. you yeah. know, hips hurting, shoulder dislocations, elbows, you name it. High injury rate, and I would throw myself into those things. I even told my teacher, I'm going to be your best student. I was a terror in my school. <laughs> I would grab people like I was mugging them in the street. <laughs> <laughs> even the women. And they would go, huh? I said, you better do something. This is the way they would grab you in the street. And they would kick and punch. And I said, no, that's better. I, I like that. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> My teacher would say, uh, any of you other jujitsu guys, you know, you come and you watch my class, you don't want to gear up and get on the mat. They would look at me and go, I ain't getting on the mat with that crazy dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was one of my teacher's most violent students. And I was happy. I wouldn't hurt nobody in the class. But my intensity was that of violence. Because I believe you only going to do what you train to do. If I do this like we were having coffee and talking about what I was going to go and buy in the supermarket, and that was the, it, the, the result of my intensity every class, that's not going to get me through a real confrontation. It's not. I can't use anger to motivate me. What if I'm not angry? I'm going to get my ass kicked. Because I haven't trained with any real intensity mentally to prepare me for intensity, to prepare me for a violent confrontation. So when I went into that jujitsu, I said, man, I'm home. Because I could yell, scream, grab a person like I really wanted to mangle him and shit. <laughs> and rip <laughs> his clothes off his body while I throw him and shit. I mean, that was good. But even that didn't satisfy my need for contact. Because all of it was cooperative. They're not fighting me back. They're allowing me to throw them and grab them. My job is not to hurt them while I practice the technique. So there's a certain amount of holdback that takes place in me. But if I'm in the street, I don't want to hold back. I don't want to train to hold back. I want to train where I let it go and make you regret starting this. So while, we, while I'm learning the stick fighting, I'm getting better at it, you know. Uh, a friend of mine who had studied with Professor V, his style of stick fighting, he said to me, you know, 1989, they're having a full contact stick fighting tournament in Jersey, Jersey City. I said, full contact? Stick fighting? Really? Let's go. So he goes, okay, we going. We drove out there. We, we went to the venue. We see all these people, even little kids with their sticks and stuff. And I'm like, wow, all these people do full contact? Man, let me check this out. So he says, 
you know, just for fun, why don't we register and compete? You know, it's not about winning and losing. It's about competing. I said, yeah. But first, I want to see what it is. He said, are you afraid? You scared? Oh, you can't say things like that to me. <laughs> I said, where's the application? <laughs> I'm going to fill it out. <laughs> so in full contact stick fighting, it's like regular boxing. It's by weight. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So back then, I was 180 pounds. And everybody that I was going to fight was around that weight. And they would list who was going to compete against each other. And I I looked at the guy I was going to fight. He was a white guy. I said, nah, he ain't, I'm going to whip his ass. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I don't know how I was going to do it because I didn't know how this thing worked. I just know you hit a guy with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> so I was looking forward to it. Let me see how this works, what you can and can't do. They went over the rules. And then there was this other brother. It was just two brothers. It was me. I was, what, 43 years old back, back then? 42, 43 years old? He was 22 years old, 245 pounds, muscle, young, strong. He was a member of the Dose Padres Club, and that's all they do, Dose Padres is everybody in their system fights. Even the kids fight. So I look up there, they have nobody next to him, nobody named next to him. So I, I didn't even get a chance. The tournament was just about to start. They would do the national anthem, the Philippine anthem, you know, they were doing this all like it was Olympics, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the next thing I do, I look up there, and they put my name with his. I said, oh, this must be a black thing. <laughs> black on black crime. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wasn't you know, afraid of that. I wanted to get a chance to see how it was done. I had the first fight. I mean, they had several rings, but when they called me and him, we was in a ring, so it wasn't about me focusing to see what other people were doing. It was me and this guy. And back then, you know, that I'm putting on this 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 jacket that had little metal uh uh what was it rubber plates. It was like a judo jacket turned in the reverse with little plastic oh rubber panels all spread out all through the jacket. Then you put on a boxer's helmet with a kendo grating in the front. And then, you know, you they give you, provide you with gloves. Because they wanted a certain amount of safety. You know, you get hit in a joint, you could get crippled. Yeah. So we face off, and the first hit that that young man hit me with, it made my helmet spin around. I'm looking out the ear hole. <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> man, all I could see was red. I fixed my helmet, and man, back then it was four rounds, I think two minutes each round, and man, it was like World War Three. 
all the karate, all the martial arts I learned, I tried to unload that on this dude. I was hitting him with that stick for dear life. I was trying to put that stick through his body. <laughs> and he was trying to do the same to me. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the fight, it took my body an hour to relax. And the puddle of sweat, you could have put a, a goldfish in there and he would have swam. And then they came over to said, man, you know, you had the most exciting fight of the tournament, but you didn't have to fight like that. You could have moved around. You could have bobbed and weaved just like stick boxing. I said, man, I wish I would have known that. But I was hooked after that. I went everywhere, Chicago, California, you name it. I was everywhere. So in 1992, people competed nationally to get on the U.S. team. So people coming from all across America that were stick fighters to compete to get on the U.S. team. And I got my student at the time, uh, his name is Chi Wali. Uh, he was my student and we got on the U.S. team. And that was the first time I went to the Philippines. And I was happy to go because I seen everybody in modern Arnis when I would travel with Remy to seminars all over the place. I was, became a personal student of, of Remy. Uh, and I would travel with him. Sometimes we would share a hotel room together. And when he wasn't on the seminar circuit, he was in Queens uh, dating my sister-in-law. And I would go over there. I would learn from him. We would go wash clothes in the laundromat. I would learn forms from him while our clothes were drying. <laughs> I mean, I had fun with Remy. I would take him to Chinatown. We would go under the bridge, you know, in Chinatown. He would teach me. I got pictures of Remy teaching my daughter when she was like six or seven years old in uh, Tompkins Square Park. So I wanted to go to the, to the Philippines so I could see how they did stick fighting. You know what I mean? Yeah. There was the, the stick fighting that Remy was teaching us. And then, you know, they had other people teaching. They had Leo Gahe. You know, there was some other people there. Greg Allen was, 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 was putting out his video series on stick fighting. But I wanted to go to the Philippines to see how it was. And in 92, I went to the Philippines, took my student. I won two world champions. He's third in the world. And I brought all of the grandmasters a gift. You know, New York hat, whatever, anything to make them stand out in their communities. And they really appreciated that. So I was allowed to train with anybody. I had an open door carte blanche thing to train with everybody. Nobody else had that. We would go to the pavilion and, and all the teams would go to eat. And the grandmasters would be in a room all to themselves, away from everybody. They would send people out to get me, and everybody was like, how come you get to go in the room with the grandmasters? I go, I don't know. <laughs> and I, I would go in there, they would ask me questions, I would ask them questions. I got a chance to, to uh, train in their house. You know, uh, uh, when I went there the first time, Remy tried to talk me out of it. And I understood why. Because if I would have gotten my butt whipped, 
it would be an indictment on his style. But I wasn't planning on getting that happening. That was firmly not in my head. I was going over there to kick ass and take names. <laughs> yes, sir. That's right. <laughs> so when I went over there and um, I got to meet a lot of grandmasters, I asked Remy, who should I train with? He says, well, if you're in Manila, train with Ilistrissimo. If you're in Cebu, go to Maranga. I said, okay. So when me and Chihuahua, my student gets off the plane in Manila, we go to the quickest room we could find. We didn't know anything about the hotel. It was one of those, those you know, with all the sexual positions on the wall and Jacob. <laughs> 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 I couldn't sleep. I was like, I couldn't wait until the morning so I could go to Rizzo Park and find a Illustrissimo. So I told I told Chihuahua, look, this is where the park is. Walk a couple of blocks down that way. If you wake up and I'm not here, I'm going to be in that park. So when the sun started to rise, I got up and went to the park. And I found him there sitting in the park. I said, you Illustrissimo? He couldn't speak English that well. And I brought a picture of me and Remy together. And when he seen that picture, he said, oh, yeah, Remy, yeah, 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 yeah. And then that was my introduction to the Illustrissimo crew. Now. And while, while I was in Manila. I, I, didn't mean to, I didn't mean to interrupt, but Illustrissimo. Yeah. I mean, this is this is probably one of the best episodes I have. And like I like I promise, I'm going to let you breathe. But Illustrissimo, you met him. And, you know, that's one of the things that stood out to me that not too many people here in the U.S. actually crossed hands with Illustrissimo. You know, so you you met him. You went to Rizal Park. You saw him. He he uh, basically you got the green light because he saw the picture of you and Remy. You know right. what? What was that like spending time with him, man? Oh, man, that was interesting. Because as the day wore on, all of his students, all of the people who wanted to learn from him, would come around him in the park. And being as I was there, I got to meet Tony Diego, Thofa Ricketts, uh, Yuli Romo, and others. Of, of that were in his system. If you go to YouTube, you'll see some of the video of them training me in the park. Yeah, I seen them. I seen them. And you know, you got you got one video where I'm in Yuli Yuli Romo's uh, house, hitting the tire, and he's telling he's teaching me how to kill with the stick. You know, the body mechanics in which to end the fight real quick. And uh, so I was like, man, I would, I would, I would travel to um, Dondo, Manila, which is the most dangerous part. It was by the piers. They was kidnapping people, robbing people, you name it. Me, I'm walking through the streets with Chihuahua with not a care in the world. <laughs> I had dressed there and never seen that before. We were hounded like I was a rock star. We would stop traffic. Chihuahua would say, Tifu, how do you stand this every day? We leave the hotel, there'd be crowds of people waiting for you. 
He said, man, try growing up black in America, and you'll understand why I'm enjoying all of this. (laughs) I heard that. (laughs) (laughs) Kids would gather around me after my autograph. One of the things is when I would sit in the bleachers doing a a competition, women would, would, would come to me like I was honey and they was bees. <laughs> and what I didn't realize is they were taking parts of my dreadlocks. They thought of it as very highly spiritual. So they would hold my hair in place, like touch my hair, while they pull off the end, the end part. <laughs> and then one day I, I, went, I said, man, you know my dreads are getting short. <laughs> <laughs> Smaller and smaller. Yeah. But with Illustrissimo, that was interesting because sometimes he would relive some of the people he had taken their heads off with. And he would go through techniques and I would like, wait a minute, how you guys learn this? He said, well, we get around them, we ask them questions. He would do something, people would pick up what he would do, and then we would share it amongst ourselves to decipher it. And I knew they were serious because Illustrissimo took me to two funerals of people he knew that died in knife fights. In the Philippines, they don't play. You know, most of us do peacetime martial arts. We don't do life and death martial arts. In the Philippines, that's life and death for them. They're not playing. You disrespect somebody, they'll smack you in the face. And they may challenge you and tell you, I'll see you tomorrow. You choose your weapon. They signed this affidavit saying that y'all are just having a friendly match. So nobody goes to jail if one of you die. We just had a friendly match. I happened to chop him in the middle of his head. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. So their their style of of stick fighting was 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 about life and death. The footwork, the way that they would respond to an attack, how he would hit you low and high, how these these things, how his checking hand would move in there. Um, and they were very fierce. Like they would, I remember one time me and Tony Diego, he was teaching me in the park, Tony Diego. And this guy was looking at us with a smirk on his face. And Tony Diego just stopped in the middle of the train. What? You don't believe this works? Here, take this stick. We'll see if it works. I mean, out of the blue, they didn't play. Any form of disrespect was dealt with. Was the old man like that? Illustrissimo was like calm. You didn't see no anger in him. Even when he did his form, there was no expressions of ferocity. The other thing that amazed me about Illustrissimo was every day I would go with my student. See, my student hated me that first 92 because he couldn't go to nothing. And back then it was like, uh, Marcos was in, in it was in the government with Imelda Marcos, all of that, all the stealing and all of that. It was like the Wild West. 
There was clubs all over, the sex clubs, bars everywhere. Women would be pulling on me, talking about, come here, Joe, come here. I tell him, nah, you got to pay me. See how strong I am? <laughs> <laughs> you got to pay me. <laughs> you got to pay me. <laughs> and my student was like, yeah, let's go to this bar. Let's no, nah, we ain't going to none of that. All we doing is getting up when the sun starts to rise, go train because the air quality is better. Because they had no emission pollution standards. So the air quality would get bad. People would be driving in the little jitneys with, with face masks on and all of that because of the pollution. And then we would get up early in the morning, go run up the stadium in Rizal Park, you know, go work out. And then after that, go to Grandmaster's houses, learn from him. He hated my guts. He said, I ain't never coming back here with you. <laughs> I said, man, we in the land of stick fighting. That's all we going to do. We are totally submersed in this. And that's what we did all the time we were there was stick fighting. I remember one time my student got this girl gave him her telephone number. And he misplaced it. And he thought the people that cleaned the room threw it away. He had a shit fit. He went downstairs. To the manager, he said, "Man, this is my opportunity to 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 meet a woman, and now you and 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 he 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 had a shit fit, and I was telling him, you can call her all you want, you ain't dating. <laughs> 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 we going we going to this grandmaster's house and learn. <laughs> so, and then when we went to Cebu, Moranga." He had passed away. So I was looking for a son. So all that time we was in Cebu, we was in the Dose Bodies. We were learning from Dose Bodies in their in their headquarters. And ever since then, I've been back to the Philippines. I've trained with different grandmasters. You know, I mean, uh, Shiok Galaran, he was our historian. He knew all the styles. He trained with all of the grandmasters, all the videos that they made. Uh, he was the, the uki that was explaining all of their styles. He shared that with us. Uh, Tony Diego, we would have him in my hotel room. Even when he got tired, he said, oh, Doug, that's enough. I'm tired. I said, okay. And my student would say, yeah, but you know, I've seen you do this. He said, what? He said this, that, and the other. And Tony would get up and start doing it, and we would would just ring him some more. <laughs> <laughs> Why not, you know? Yeah. You know? So I, I, I did that with everyone. Every Even now, when I go to the Philippines, it's there to learn from any style that I haven't heard of or seen. And at one point, they all asked me to represent them when I came back. And I, my loyalties were to Remy. So I was well prepared for anything that they would teach me because of Martin Arnese. And I always told uh, the professor, Martin Arnese was genius. Because 100 years from now, whatever we add to it, it will still be Martin. And in Martin Arnese is... Uh, 
everyone's style is in there. The things that make their style work is in modern Arnese. Like in some styles, you have abanico, fanning technique. It's not in all styles. In some styles, they do a lot of double sticks, wally drills. That's not in all styles. Perfect example is Balintawa. They only use one stick. So my thing was to go to the Philippines and learn as much about this art because I, when I came across it, I felt like I was at home because now I can hit a person with all my strength, with all my intensity and not go to jail. What other art gives me that? And to be able to move from something that moves faster than your hand can tell you, your mind can tell your hand to move. Stick move faster. So if I'm training against something that moves faster than hand, your hand is like the matrix to me. <laughs> That's a fact. That's a fact. See, people do not understand this art, this, this stick fighting art. This stick fighting art is real. And when you put those sticks down, it's every martial arts, all of them. I can translate every martial arts from stick drills, all of them. The difference with sticks in other martial arts is we have flow, continuous movement. We are trained to be for our hands to move continuously. When you do Sinwali drills, both your hands are employed. This is the only art that I know that works both hemispheres of the brain at the same time. Your right hand is training your left hand to keep up. Come on, Mr. Retarded, keep up with me. <laughs> yes, sir. So it's an ambidextrous art. No other art does that. They don't emphasize that. Most arts are right-handed martial arts. The emphasis is on the punch of your right hand. And your left hand is like an afterthought. But not with Filipino stick fighting. So if my right hand gets injured, my left hand is going to bust you up. Because the right has trained it already over the years. To cooperate with me. To flow with me. No other art does that. So out of all the arts that I've learned. And I used to teach karate. I can teach judo, jujitsu. But I chose to teach stick fighting because I want to go to sleep at night. Knowing that whatever I taught my students is real. And they could use it. I don't want them coming knocking on my door next class with their eye swollen and their teeth knocked out. Because I'm trying to force them into this box of learning because that's what I learned. 
the art has to fit the person, not the person fit the art. That's that's retarded. That's backward thinking. A lot of the people who teach us martial arts are shorter than us. Their stances are lower. But you never see them fight like that. All the tournaments that I've ever been in, and I never learned tournaments. I'm so thankful my teacher never put us in a lot of tournaments. So I never learned the game of tag. Because that's what tournaments are. It's a game of tag. If you hit somebody real hard, they disqualify you for over-aggressiveness. So how do you know you can deliver a punch or a real meaningful kick? How do you know you can take it? When you've never had to. That's not real to me. I enjoyed my training in in judo and jujitsu and aikido. Because of me, I'm a rule. Three different styles of martial arts. One system. Because of the constant pounding we took with the ground. And my teacher was kind of like a little off. You know, he was still in the military. <laughs> he was a career soldier. Uh, he used to always say, never give a, sec- a sucker a second chance. When I went for my brown belt test at the head uh, dojo in the Bronx with Antonio Pereira, he took his black belts off of us. Because we were too rough for them. He told my teacher, you know, I, I really respect your students, but I don't want them hurting my student, my black belts. Let them test on each other. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's that's intense. So Yeah. So you you had we, we talked about Illustrissimo, but you brought up Balitnawak. You know, how'd you get introduced to Balitnawak and uh, Master Akilo? Well, well my, my, my friend, Tom Bolden, who had also learned, he was another black dude. When, when, when I went to a seminar and we seen each other, it was like, Lord, the heavens opened up. The first <laughs> black dude I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> and his students were moving like nobody else's students. And I was like, what is it? How do you get your students to move like that? But then as time went on, I realized he used to he used to teach Latin hustle. And those movements were in his stick fighting. And then it got me to thinking, I'm a salsa master. I used to I used to compete in salsa. Oh wow. For money. I'm a a, a great salsa dancer. It's sexy. It's romantic. So I started putting that in my stick fighting. That's why nobody can move like me in stick fighting. So I looked at the way he was. We started communicating, you know. I went to a seminar he had, you know. I brought him down to my school. We became good, good friends. And then he called me up. He says, man, you know, I met this guy named uh, Attilo. I said, really? He said, yeah. One of Attilo's students was one of Remy's teachers. I said, what? He said, yeah. So this Belintawak is in Martin Arnese. I said, really? 
I had heard a little bit about Balintawa, but I didn't know it was in uh, modern Arnis. That's why Remy told me to go see Maranga. Maranga was into Balintawak. So he had a seminar, Till had a seminar, and once I went there, I became his personal student. I'm an inheritor and a successor. And I have to remind Attila, because I speak to him often. I spoke to him yesterday. I told him, I had to remind him, Grandmaster, I met all of your students, most of them. The only difference between me and them is I'm a real fighter. <laughs> <We'll> fight. <laughs> I told him, I'm like you. <laughs> I will fight. <laughs> so Master Attilo, he one of his teachers was Ancion uh, Bacon, right? Uh, no. Okay. Because, you know, I've traveled to San Bernardino. When when I got Attilo as my teacher, I'm that guy. I get you as my teacher, I'm going to hound you. I'm going to read every book on that art. I'm going to go where you at. I used to travel on a regular basis to California, pay for a hotel, rent a car, and drive every day to his to the farm where he was living. And Attilo's like the ever-ready bunny. He don't know when to slow down. You get this guy in a stick fighting from morning to night. Sometimes I have to, I get there like 8, 30, 9 o'clock in the morning, and we be going till like 6 or 7 o'clock at night. I'd have to say, wait a minute, I'm tired. Let's go eat. <laughs> 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 amazing <laughs> amazing so so you you've been with uh master attilo how many years now i met attilo i think it was 2006 okay somewhere so, around there so about 15 today. yeah so 15 years that's a long time so you yeah man you had brought up something that that's real interesting to me, and I talked about it on one of my shows, uh, previous shows. Is black representation now? A lot of times, you know, in, in these in the FMA world, like to me or for me, uh, one of the first brothers that I, that I had ever seen in a in a Filipino martial arts setting face to face, it was a guy. His name was a uh, Roy Fitzgerald. He's a guru in in Pekiti Tertia, and mm -hmm. and every now and again, I'd see Roy, and uh, I remember. I was living in Austin at that time, and I came back here to San Antonio, went to my teacher's dojo, and he had this book. And the book, it was The Black Heroes of the Martial Arts. And I'm flipping through it, and that was my first time seeing you. You had the dreads, you had everything like that. And I'm like, holy shit, there's actually brothers out here that do this. And not only people that do this, but people, people brothers that do this at a high level, at a master level. You know, so coming up, you know, from the 70s up until now. I mean, why do you think that it is that there aren't that many of us that do this at a high level? I mean, there's there's a lot, but but not as much as, you know, say our white counterparts or our Latin counterparts or Filipino counterparts. Well, first of all, the other arts were more accessible to us. You had ex-military men who came back home and opened up dojos. So they exposed us to the form of karate they had learned 
while they were in the military. Was it complete? Nope. Is it complete in a lot of styles? Nope. It's not. Um, it's still on the physical level. Um, I've always been that crazy dude that always seek out things that most people don't know about. I'm always in search of that, always in search of new knowledge, things people don't know about. And before I embrace it, I, I throw myself in there and then I research it and try to get everything that's written on it to understand it. A lot of brothers are not into this art because it's just starting to come out. The, the, the uh, effectiveness and the efficiency of it is just starting to come out. And brothers are starting to jump on the bandwagon. The only thing that I have an issue with is they're not properly trained. They're not. And I can say that because of all of my extensive uh, involvement in, in the Philippines with, with stick fighters, not just guys who compete in tournaments, but actual people who've taken life. So there are things that I've learned that I know others have not. And, um, and a lot of times... Um, Black people get comfortable. They get an art. They, they accomplish a certain level in that art. And they, they get stuck in there. I always view martial arts or life as this train that you get on as a baby. And this train is your life. Every so often, that train will stop at a stop. And you get off to stretch your legs and learn what that stop has to offer. After you learn it, you get back on the train and you go to the next stop. Because the next stop has information the previous stop didn't have. And too often, we get on this train... And we get off at a stop and we get comfortable and we stay there. And then to get us to learn more, we get back on the train kicking and screaming. No, no, I don't want to get on. I don't want to get on. <laughs> <laughs> See, in me, in my head, I've always come to grips with no matter what I know, I don't know shit. There's always more to learn. Yeah, that's real. That's that's real. 100%. So if I go into it like that, I'm never going to give myself the title of master or grandmaster. Who are you a master of? You're calling yourself a master and you can't even prevent food from going in your mouth that makes you 357 pounds. <laughs> How could you be a master? You can't put that pork chop down. <laughs> put that pork chop down. <laughs> yes, sir. And you call yourself a master? You can't stop drinking, smoking, 
doing, please. What kind of master are you? Now, grandmaster? Are you for real? Here's the question that I ask a lot of grandmasters, and I'm around a lot of guys who call themselves this. I say, where your heart? Most of them point in the wrong place. (laughs) (laughs) I say, where your liver? They point in the wrong place. Now, you don't even know anatomy, and you call yourself a master grandmaster? So when you punch a person, where are you punching them to do the most damage? You don't know? And you call yourself a master? Grandmaster? You're a master beta. And a grandmaster beta. You're just stroking your own ego. Man. You must stay humble and learn. If you can't heal nobody, how could you be a grandmaster? What did you master? Ten forms? That you don't really understand? You don't know? If you can't break down every move in your form, where it really devastate your opponent you can't be no master you can't be a grandmaster how could you if I break a bone can you set it grandmaster if I'm sick can you prescribe the the, the teas and the herbs that will help me in my recovery grandmaster You have no knowledge of psychiatry. So how could you help your students who may be going through a lot of psychological trauma, Grandmaster? Are you for real? You don't know how to prescribe diet. Matter of fact, you don't, you can't, you have a hard time keeping the diet, Grandmaster. You have fear of coming out of your comfort zone, Grandmaster. You're not learning, trying to learn other arts. Because for me, they all the same, Grandmaster. Every organ in your bowel has a corresponding, I mean, every organ in your body has a corresponding bow. So if I ask you, what is the corresponding bow to your heart? And you can't answer me, Grandmaster? So everything that I brought up, you can't answer? Go just back to being a good student. Call If you got students, just call yourself a teacher. That's all you are. Because you leave yourself room to grow. When you start calling yourself master and grandmaster, you know what that means? You don't want other people to see you learn. And if you go to a seminar, go to a a big event, if you think I'm just talking out my ass, 
Go to a big event. And there's a guy teaching something most people don't know. You know where you're going to find the grandmasters? Hugging the wall. They're not on the floor trying to learn. They're hugging the wall. Why? Because they don't want to see, let people see how spastic they are. You look good in the art that you've been practicing. It's like practicing the dance. Now we we introduced some river dancing, some taps. Oh shit! (laughs) 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 Now everybody gonna see how spastic I. You know how many high level martial artists have come to my school supposedly to learn, and I say supposedly to learn stick fighting. They can't even get through the first five strikes or the first twelve strikes. And you never see them again. Why? Because it's a reminder to them how little they still know that's, or don't know. That's deep. Wow. And they don't, it, it makes them feel uncomfortable. I enjoy being a white belt. I embrace that shit with, with enthusiasm. How do you move that again? Show me how you do that again. Is this right? I love being there. Because it takes the burden and the stress of me walking around with my pompous attitude like I already know. Which prevents me from learning. So please, people call me grandmasters. I got plaques with grand. Man, keep all that bullshit. <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> The last Hall of Fame, the last Hall of Fame I went to with uh, Alan Goldberg, you know, people print these things where you where you get these names on the cup. They just put Dougie. And I didn't go back and go, wait a minute, my name is Seafood Doug. <laughs> I said, Dougie, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 something that's very important that you just said. I mean, you're dropping a lot of a lot of knowledge. That's why there's so many gaps in my response because I'm taking this all in. But you should have that attitude to where, you know, you haven't arrived. I mean, because there's always something more to learn, you know, regardless of regardless of, of, of how many years of experience or what level of mastery that you have in this art. That don't mean that you understand that art because that art has a totally different set of rules. People move differently. And, you know, how do you respond? And I like that analogy that you had to where you said, you know, now we're going to do some river dancing and some tap dancing and shit because, you know, you have to be able to adapt. Yeah, you got to adapt, which means you got to learn it. Yep, that's right. Which means right then you become a white belt. And if you're not a white belt mentally, you're going to have a hard time learning it. That's the absolute. Because you're going to keep going back to your frame of reference. Instead of being a blank sheet of paper. And your frame of reference, it might not be the right thing. That's yeah, it ain't the right <laughs> thing. If I'm if you're doing this and I introduce river dancing that white you better get that blank sheet of paper. <laughs> and figure that shit out quick. So Yeah. So we've been So at- please keep the master titles. I don't want to know about them. If you want to keep them, 
and people want to call themselves whatever they want to call themselves, but you will be held to task at one point or another when you give yourself all this exorbitant stuff. And people say, but wait a minute, you're the grandmaster. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Oops. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> that wasn't grandmasterly enough for you. <laughs> Listen, Guru Doug, we we've been at this. It's been an hour, over an hour, and I want you to come back on the show. Like, absolutely, I need I need for you to come back on. And oh, I got plenty more. You lucky you stopping me. We'd be on there for twenty four hours. Yeah, I, and, <laughs> and and that and, and and that's what I love. I, I know that the audience listening, they're probably glued to their earbuds, whatever they're doing, they're listening to this shit and they're just like, Wow. I mean, only a fool wouldn't get something from this. So I got some fun questions. Um the first one I would, well, something I just recently started asking the guest, but it comes with one caveat. You have to be able to help me to get this person, but who would you want to hear on my podcast? Hmm. That's an interesting question. You know why I say, hmm? Because there's, you know, there's a lot of people that I know and a lot of people I see on Facebook and Instagram doing what they do, but I've never had the interaction with them um, you know, because this is about brothers, right? That's part of it. I like to, I like to promote a lot of black martial art masters on here. Guys that whose stories haven't been told. Absolutely. Well, well there's one guy, he's a white dude. And that's my pressure point teacher from the dragon society. Rick moneymaker. Why? Because of the information he has that I know most martial artists do not have. See, I'm a member of the Dragon Society. And they are about uh, players to the game. They're not just pressure points. There's other things that they bring up in martial arts that I have never heard or never covered. It's never covered. So I brought him in for a seminar, and I invited all of the black martial artists in this city to come to this thing so that they can get some in information that will put rocket fuel in what they already do. And I mean rocket fuel. I would never bring a person in if they did not bring a thousand percent of value. I'm not bringing nobody. I'm not going to be around somebody who's doing the same bullshit everybody else is doing. I'm going to bring you some extraordinary people. And the Dragon Society is extraordinary. Now, these are, these are white boys from Virginia. Some people would call them rednecks. But I get, I get along with them very well. <laughs> there's some of the listen i'm in texas and i I'll, I'll be honest with you some of those rednecks quote-unquote rednecks those are some of the realest people you'll ever meet yeah they ain't they ain't putting on no ears they try to be honest with you absolutely and open with you and if they're friendly to you it's genuinely friendly towards you and that's right it is 
So, you know, I, you know, Tom Muncy, Rick Moneymaker, Michael Patrick, them guys, they all high, hold a high place in me because of what they bring to the table. And they share this. And they've been doing it for decades. Not a couple of years, decades. So they're dug in. So what the, the man you're talking about that you'd want to hear me talk to would be Rick Moneymaker. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because Rick Moneymaker, you ask some things about karate and pressure points and players to the game. She want ring that? That buzzer? Ring them in? Players to the game and all of that? These are the people who will open you up to a greater understanding of what your art is. Because everything that you do in your martial arts is based on shutting down the body, short-circuiting the energy that flows through your body. All those grabs of the wrist, all those punches are supposed to be directed to a certain uh, part of your anatomy to, to give you the, the, the most bang for your punch. And they know the science. And I've tried it. I didn't just go to them and they say, well, you know, you do this. And I go, oh, wow, that's all good. They worked it on me, brought me to a pain. I've watched people that they do this to, have them knock them out, have to wake them up and all of that. And then I took the knowledge that they taught me and found the biggest, strongest dudes I could and dropped them to their knees. Amazing. And, and I know other martial artists don't know this. Them brothers better get on this. Because everybody at that seminar that I go to is all white. I'm like a fly in a bowl of milk. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that. Well, next question. Five masters dead or alive that you'd want to train with? I'd have to think about that. Because it, it for me, it has to go beyond punching and kicking. Right now, where my head is, I want to be able. Did you ring the? Huh. Wait a minute. Wait, wait. Hold, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Sure, oh. sure, sure. Folks, we're getting a master class right now from Guru Doug Pierre. Uh, if you just started listening or you've been listening, thanks for continuing to listen to the show. But this has been one of the best episodes that I've put out thus far, and I hope you guys are enjoying it. Guru Doug, you still with me? Hello? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, I, left, I left off at... You were, saying, uh, you were saying at this point in your life, it's more than punching and kicking. It's more than punching and kicking for me. So if you're a grandmaster or you, or you want to call that title, I don't want to know more about your techniques. You can always do thousands of techniques. I can show you a technique and build off of that infinite techniques. So I'm not interested in that anymore because then it becomes memorization. 
if anything, if you want to teach somebody something, teach them the concept. And from the concept, you can devise infinite techniques. But if you're just focusing on a technique, that means memorization. That means you're going to get your ass kicked trying to remember what you did and what you should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> the, the, la the last series, I have, the, I have my series of... Uh, Excuse me, last questions. I have my series of 10 questions. Oh, before you ask me that question, no, you asked me five masters? Yes, sir. Five masters. You got it? It's em? hard for me to say that because I'm at this stage where I want to be able to hit you from the comfort of my living room. I want to be able to invade your thoughts. If, if I had to deal with you, I want to disrupt your life with a thought in my mind. Can you teach me how to do that? <laughs> <laughs> if you're across the street, can I send my energy across the street and have you slam into the wall? If I can't do those things, I'm still a white belt. That's very true. Maybe there's somebody out there that might be able to help you. Uh, to get to that that next level, that high level. <laughs> well, I think that, you know, my Tai Chi is about combat Tai Chi. I don't want to flail my, hair, my hands in the air like I just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, if it's called Tai Chi Chuan, that means grand ultimate fist, not grand ultimate exercise. And I feel that Tai Chi is the path that will help me get there because of all the things that I'm, I'm developing as a result of Tai Chi. So if Tai Chi Chuan is the grand ultimate fist, what makes it the grand ultimate fist? When most of the Tai Chi people can get their asses slammed on the pork against the wall. So why do you keep calling it the grand ultimate fist? This looks like the grand ultimate wussy fist. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's close out on this. And these are just rapid fire questions. Not a lot okay. of not a lot of thought goes into it. Just the first thing that comes to your mind. You ready? All right. All right. So what's your favorite weapons category? Dick fighting. What's your least favorite? All of these exotic weapons like nunchucks, you know, size, that's bullshit. We ain't gonna find that in the movie theater. <laughs> what do you love what do you love about the Filipino martial arts? It's realistic, baby. It's 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 up in your face. It's about life and death. I could teach a kid stick fighting. I mean I could teach a kid karate. And you know, like they're giving these kids black belts with stripes on them and shit. A truck, a van pulls up. The side doors panels open up and the pedophile will come out there and he'd be like, ha, that guy will grab him by the scruff of his neck, smack him upside his head and throw him in the back of that van and take him away with all his karate. Hit you up. Get the stiff. With all of his karate. But I could teach that same kid stick fighting. That van will open up and that kid will whip all of their asses. And send them running down the street. Help, help, get this kid off of me. <laughs> what what turns you off about the Filipino martial arts? The 
that it might go in the way of other martial arts. You know, the people I've met in the Filipino martial arts are friendly and still humble. And I'm hoping it doesn't go the way of the arrogance you see in other martial arts, karate styles, jiu-jitsu systems. You know, like I have a handle on a hip throw. You don't have a handle, man. You know, millions of people do hip throw. So in the Philippines, you know, because Filipino people are still very gracious and open and friendly. And they will definitely feed you. I hope that is is there. When brothers start to get in this into this art, I hope they don't bring the slave mentality traditions into it. You know, the crab in the barrel. Yeah, pulling somebody mindset. down. Yeah, yeah, pulling somebody you know, down just to make you look good. Not credit for the people who were before them. Like, you don't, I don't want you kissing my ass, but don't talk to me like I ain't did nothing. And I'm just hoping more and more black people get into this art because it works for us. It comes from Africa. First Filipinos were African pygmies. Africa still does full contact stick fighting. If you look on the walls of the pyramid, you're going to see stick fighting. Actual stick fighting. So when Filipinos say, oh, it's in our blood. No, fuck that shit. We are in your blood. If anything, we are in your blood. We the first people. We the ones who created all of this. Even Kung Fu. Karate. All of this comes from us. But the world keeps us asleep because they keep our history hidden while they pump themselves up on the things we've done. What do you love to do besides train? study okay question not just martial arts i like to understand people's minds because everything starts in your mind if i want to get a student from a to b i got to get into his mind what do you hate i hate the arrogance in the art What's your favorite curse word? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> what martial art? B- bullshit. <laughs> what What martial art besides the Filipino martial arts would you like to try? If I can't levitate, none. <laughs> <laughs> what martial art? What martial art would you not want to try? It's, it's hard to say because, all right, let, let's back up a little bit. The one that I would love to, to, to spend a little bit more time in is Sila. See, because Pacific Rim martial arts, Indonesian martial arts is still relatively new to us. So I would like to investigate that one even more. That makes sense. 
and and I've I've dabbled into it, but if you ask me what is Sila, it's hard to explain. It because is. of the things they do, the I'm, way they move. I'm gonna have to put you in contact with somebody that I know that uh, that that's very adept at C lot. We'll we'll talk after the podcast, and I'll let you I'll let you in on somebody. But, Wait, where is he? Uh, Florida. Oh, Florida. Yeah. <laughs> so, last question: When it's all mm-hmm. when it's all said and done, what do you want your martial legacy to be? That I helped as many people as I can. I I inspired them to reach greater heights in their personal life, and that um, I that I I conducted myself every single day as a righteous person. That I didn't do anything to hurt somebody. I usually when I leave my house, I, I take about fifteen dollars or twenty dollars worth of singles, and I give it out to the to people who beg to kids who are selling candy on the subways. I don't even want the candy. We are not generous with each other. So when they say black people don't support each other, how do you change that? You have to rehearse it, like learning how to do a front kick. You got to demonstrate it every day. So when I leave my house, it's about helping and being generous. So I can change all of that slave tradition, crab in the barrel mentality that was given to me that keeps that that helps us to contain each other. Because our behavior can we contain each other. We're the ones who are hating on each other. Well, everybody around the world admires us. When I leave America, I'm treated like a king. When I come back here, nigga, get your own shit. <laughs> mm. You know what I mean? That's deep, Guru. We don't, we don't support each other. So we talk it, but we don't demonstrate it. And I'm about demonstrating. So when I'm around other black people, I watch you. I watch how you talk about other people. I watch you walk down the street and you see somebody begging and you don't even look in their direction. I watch how embarrassed you are when you see somebody black acting crazy in the street and you feel like it's an affront to you. Hell no, it's not. He's one of our wounded warriors and we should look at him like that. And it's be as helpful as possible to him. Be as compassionate and empathetic towards him. Because he didn't grow up being like that. Like when he was a little kid. Johnny, what you want to be? Rashid, what you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to be a homeless crackhead. That's my aspiration in life. Rashad, that's what you want to be? Yeah, I want to be homeless and filthy and in the street, jobless. That ain't what they aspire to be. So how did he get to be there? When you look at the society and all of the things they put around us to contain us. So that we don't succeed. And in spite of all of that, we still succeed. We still turn out the best human beings. The best. 
with all that has happened to us, we should have had a race war in this in this America, and we haven't. We put up with all the shit that they they throw at us, and people from other countries come in there and help them throw that shit at us. We open doors for everybody. Ain't no Asian opened up no door for him to go to Harvard or Yale. We did that. Ain't no Jamaican sacrificed life and limb as a people to open up the unions so you could go in there and be an electrician and a carpenter. We did that. We are the mightiest people on this planet. We're mightier than the Africans. They own Africa and can't control it. We trying to control our hood <laughs> that we don't even own. Guru but if you come in my hood with, without the right bandana, we going to ice you. That shows control. We still trying to control things that we don't own. And they own Africa and still can't exert control. So there's nobody on this planet mightier than us. First, we have to recognize that. So if I say I'm mighty, I know you're mighty. And I have to recognize the might in all of us. Not just some of us. All of us are mighty. Good. And when I can do that, then I'll respect a brother and all the work and effort he puts into achieving whatever level that he he's achieved. But then I'll jump in your ass when you get arrogant because then I'll show you you don't have you don't have it all. You don't own shit. What do you own? Can you hire me? Can you house me because you're the landlord? Can you feed me because you own the means of production? Can you close me because you own the, fac the factory that makes the clothes I wear? Can I make movies where we distribute? Can I make music where we distribute and totally control? No. None of it. While we walk around here with expensive jewelry and, and clothes and cars and all of that. And all we did was give all our money back to our oppressor. And we didn't use any of it to get free. And you call yourself a grandmaster? Masturbate on that one. Mm, Guru Doug, with that. Yes, sir. With that. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and drop the mic on that one. We gotta do it. <laughs> I just did. Yeah, I had the mic, imaginary mic, in my hand when I said Grandmaster and dropped it. <laughs> Bam! There it is, Guru Doug. I appreciate you coming on the show, man. We're gonna have to definitely do a part two. We'll uh, catch up next time. Thanks for listening. All right, you take care, man. Have a blessed day. You as well. And stay mighty, man. You mighty. Give to your give wings to your thoughts because. Yes. You have the ability to have original thought. You understand that? Yes, sir. Original thought. And the only reason why it don't manifest is because you're not making it manifest. That's it. That's all.
Thank you again. With that, I'll say goodnight, my brother. Hey, thank you so much, Guru Doug. I'll be in contact real soon. Take care, brother. All right. Thank you for listening to our show. Subscribe, rate, share, leave a review, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at South Texas Kali. Until next time, stay safe and train hard. Peace.